Amen. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord, unto me. It helps when you've walked a few years with Jesus and he's proven to you personally, by yourself, that when he's all you have, he's all you need. Amen? Amen. 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 Thank you, Jennifer. Bless you for our worship team and just helping us to sense the presence of the Lord. On this last Sunday in June, 2021. I can remember a time when I never thought I'd see the year 2021. Did you ever think that? Never thought we'd see the year 2000. Thought we'd all be in heaven by now. But we're not. We're here. But the great news is Jesus hadn't changed. And Jesus hadn't left. He is where we are because as we're taught in the book of Colossians chapter 1, it is Christ in us that is our hope of glory. Not Jesus around us or not Jesus just over us or Jesus way out in the future but it is Jesus the Christ within us that is our hope of glory. Now we've spent some time the last couple of weeks on this subject of don't you ever say he can't do it. Don't say he can't do it. We spent some time last week on this matter of which Jesus are we talking about? Are we talking about what is spoken of as the emptied Jesus, the earthly Jesus who emptied himself, Philippians 2 says, of all of the prerogatives and privileges, powers, authority in a sense that he had in heaven before Bethlehem. He emptied himself so that he could become a man because in a man flows blood and out through the wounds of Jesus would flow the blood that would enable us to have our sins forgiven. Jesus would be called the Lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sins of the world. Do you know him today? Do you know him in that way? It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we never struggle. It doesn't mean that we never sin again. But it just means that we have been forgiven, and we know where our forgiveness is found. (laughs) Amen. I want to talk to you this morning along the lines of that Jesus, the Jesus that we just should never think, should never say that there's something that he can't do in us, for us, to us, through us. I want to talk to you this morning for a few minutes on living, living in the place of the practical power of Jesus, living in the practical power 
of Jesus. What I mean by that is not theoretical power or or not um, in, in, in the sense of having some ideas and some wishes about what we would want the Lord to do or believe that he's able to do. But how do we live in the place of his practical power, the at-hand power, the Monday morning power that we're going to need? I suggest to you there are three parts to that. This is not going to be an exhaustive treatment of the subject. But let me give you the three aspects that I believe are clear in the Scripture that help us with an understanding of how to live, how to live in the practical power of Jesus. Number one, embrace his cross. Number two, receive his promise. And then number three, Never stop drinking. Never stop drinking. Now, I realize that got some of your attention. So stay with me. Stay with me. Number one, to live in the place of the practical power, the working power, the at-hand power, the real time in me where I need energy the most, power. First, embrace his cross. Embrace his cross. If you'll find the book of Colossians chapter 2, and in verse 13 we find these words. You need to know this is in your Bible. Hope you'll underline it. Put a star by the side of it. Maybe take some time to memorize certain lines and phrases, if not the whole body of this quote. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, Paul writes, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our sins. Would you say that out loud with me? Having forgiven us all our sins. Let's say it one more time. Having forgiven us all our sins or transgressions is the word. Then he says in verse 14, as he, as he amplifies, as he explains what he just meant by saying that we have had all our transgressions forgiven, verse 14, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What got nailed to the cross? Jesus' body was nailed to the cross. Peter will write that he carried our sins in his body 
onto the cross. Isaiah 53 will say that the Lord has laid on him a prophecy of the cross. The Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Here, Paul takes it apart a little bit further. He's saying, in effect, here's what the sins were that Jesus took to the cross. And when he was nailed to the cross, this was nailed to the cross. It was the certificate, look at that again, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us. Here is, here is the law. Here is the spiritual law. The wages of sin is death. Sin accumulates wages. Sin, and it could be any number of things. It could be many different things. That which you have a tendency to fall into may be different than what I can have a tendency to fall into. Our pasts are not always going to be the same. But here's the awesome news. There's not going to be one new thing about you in the area of failure or sin or moral depletion that God, through Jesus, doesn't already know and hasn't already taken care of on the cross. Everything that could be decreed against you on the basis of that law, the wages of sin is death. That creates a decree regarding the sins of my life, the choices that I've made, and the decree requires death. When Jesus went to the cross, he carried in his body all of the decrees against us based upon the sins that we, would, we haven't even hadn't been born yet when he went to the cross. But looking ahead, he saw you, he saw me, he saw every decade of our lives, he saw every relationship in our lives, he saw everything we'd put in our mouths, everything we would do with our bodies, everything we would speak out from us, all of those things that would end up being decrees against us. He looked 2,000 years ahead and he saw you and he saw me and he went to the cross and as he was nailed on the cross, he was paying the debt that those decrees required. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the decrees that were hostile against us. The word death is not a kind word. It is not a soft word. It is a ruthless word. And he knew that those decrees tied to the sins that we would commit would be hostile toward us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, you know this verse, so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not have to experience the weight of the debt of the sins that we had accumulated. And because of his love for us, the plan for Jesus to be born as a man, to have human blood in his veins, 
And the wonderful old verse of the song, part of the song that says, speaking of the cross, when Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin. Here's why this aspect of the cross is included in this matter of tapping into the practical power of Jesus. You're going to need to find a way to stand in the middle of what Jesus did for you on the cross every day of your life. Even though we put our trust in him maybe years ago, decades ago, or maybe a short period of time ago, we received by faith in what he did for us our forgiveness and our freedom. But the enemy of your soul and my soul has a long memory. What God would have forgiven, Satan wants not to forget. And he wants to try to use it against us. If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Satan wants to try to rob you of prayer power by bringing up something from the past that has already been forgiven But Satan hasn't forgotten about it. And if you don't know the power of the cross of Jesus Christ, Satan can beat you up like a rag doll with the stuff out of your past that he should not even be allowed to touch. We stand in the place of the victory of the cross. As we stand there and we start into a brand new week and even the memories from within ourselves, the flesh, the old part of us, can those things can conjure up or just a flat out assault from the enemy trying to beat us back and push us away from our inheritance in the Lord. He, he knows he can't strip that which has truly been given to us, but he will work to try to steal our joy. He'll work to try to steal our confidence in the Lord. But if you're standing in the cross. If you're embracing the cross of Jesus, you're able to say if you need to, Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. I own him as my savior. I own him as my Lord. Paul will say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel and at the heart of the gospel is what Jesus did on the cross. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. The cross is the power of God. The truth of the cross is the power of God. And let me show you another reason why it is the power of God. Read on into verse 15 with me. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them having triumphed over them through him or through the cross. He continues to take apart the meaning, the depth, the heart, the legal consequences of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Satan being the most powerful of all of the beings of disobedience, second only to the Lord in power, knows that where there remains sin, unforgiven sin, in the hearts of people, then he has the authority to rule over them. Here's why. 
they have chosen his way instead of God's way. And as the accuser of the brethren, as the accuser of the human race, he is able to say back to the Lord, this one right here has chosen me over you. Therefore, this one is following me, not you. The consequences of our sins, which are the result of the choices that we made to say no to God and yes to darkness, rise up and cause there to be the freedom of Satan to rule over the sons and daughters of disobedience, as Paul would write in Ephesians 2. That was all true until the cross happened. Here's what happened on the cross. In the behalf of the sons and daughters of disobedience who don't want to choose darkness anymore, but want to choose the light of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Here's what happened. It was that there was a disarming Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him by means of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, paying down to the last penny every ounce of debt that your sin and my sin had accumulated for us saying in effect that we're more in agreement with the devil's way than we are with God's way. Jesus went to the cross before any of us had ever repented. He went to the cross. We hadn't straightened anything up. We hadn't changed our language. We hadn't changed our behaviors. We hadn't said, I'm sorry. Before any of that happened, he so loved you and so loved me that he died anyway. He died anyway. He died before we ever changed. And on the basis of that, the Lord demonstrated his love for me. But God demonstrates his love for us even while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us when that happened. And the blood was poured out. It took away from Satan, the second most powerful being in the universe. It took away from him the legal right to rule over people when they put their trust and their faith in what Jesus did for them on the cross. The only way out from under the authority of Satan is putting your trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He has a legal right to pummel you and your family and whatever our hands touch. He has a legal right when we've turned away from the blood of Jesus which would pay the debt for our sins, which would make an open display, a public display of how Satan has failed now that Jesus has come. But when Jesus says, John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except by way of me. He meant every syllable of that. I am the way. It's not religion. It's not trying harder. It's not giving money to the poor. It's not doing things that we might do to try to make ourselves a better person. Satan cares nothing about that. He doesn't even blink in that direction. But here's where he blinks. When you put your trust 
in what Jesus did for you on the cross. And you're able to say back, whenever there should be or might ever be a discussion you would have with the enemy, you have no authority here. I used to belong to you. I used to walk with you, but no more. I have put my trust in Jesus' shed blood for me, and on the basis of what he did for me, I am free. I'm saying to you, you want to tap into the practical power of Jesus? You embrace and keep on embracing and don't ever let go of what he did for you on the cross. You know what else that'll do for you? It'll make you kinder toward knuckleheads. Remembering I was a knucklehead. I was a hardhead. I was profane. I was angry. I was a blow up. I was a loser. I was a failure. You get, you lose track of the cross And we get this super spiritual attitude that we have a right to judge all those poor fools when we were one of them. And it's the mercy of God demonstrated by what he did for us on the cross, reminding us he didn't die for righteous people. He died for sinners. And Paul would say, I'm chief among them. And he wrote two-thirds of your New Testament. There's no room for this high-sounding, looking down at, judging, and condemning when you're holding on to the cross. Because the cross is for sinners. The cross is for sinners who want to be forgiven and stay forgiven. The cross is for sinners who want to be out from under the authority of that which ruined and ruled our lives before. You embrace the cross. Get up on Monday morning. Lord, I'm, I'm facing this week. Only you know what's going to be coming at me. Only you know what's going to come out of my past. Only you know what's going to try to threaten me with the future, reminding me of how I have failed in the past. But Lord, I'm asking you to help me to lay hold of that cross where you demonstrated your love for me before I ever changed, before I ever repented. You established your love for me through what Jesus did for me on that cross. And I cling to the mercy expressed at that place, and I praise you, Lord, that I am no longer under the authority of darkness. I have been transferred into the domain of your son's kingdom, and that's where I want to be. You embrace the cross. Secondly, you receive the promise. You receive the promise. What are you talking about? Well, if you've been around Alamo City for very long, been a part of the, you, you, you know exactly what we're talking about. The promise of the Father. What was that? It was the same thing that John the Baptist said about Jesus. Here's how you will know when you've met the Messiah. He's the one who will baptize you with his spirit and with fire. John would say, I can get you sopping wet on the outside. I can baptize you in the Jordan River. But there's somebody coming greater than I am who'll go right straight through your clothes, straight into your heart that needs rescuing, and he will drench your insides. He will drench your heart with his spirit and with fire. You can't 
You can't read the book of Acts without a clear, strong, specific understanding that the only way those people did what they did, became what they became for the cause of Christ is because whatever it was to them, there was a coming on them, a moving into them with a power greater than just their natural talents and thoughts and perspectives. It's spoken of, find Acts 2 if you would with me. It's spoken of as the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. Jesus will say after the cross, after he's been raised from the dead, he says, I'm telling you, Acts 1, I want you, you wait here. You wait here in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high, until you receive the promise of the Father that I gave to you, I spoke to you about. John spoke of the same thing. So, so he was saying the promise of the Father is not the cross. The promise of the Father is not the victory of the cross. The promise of the Father, in other words, is this. He would say in Colossians 1.27, to the Gentiles, to those who have no basic background with the Jewish race and with the commandments and the prophets, but he said, here it is. It is Christ in you that is your hope of glory. The promise would be that the spirit of the exalted Jesus would be poured out, placed within, fully alive within the hearts of those who have put their faith and their trust in him. They would be endued as a result of that with kinds of power, kinds of strength, kinds of abilities that they never had before. Now don't lose me. Don't lose me. Don't, don't check out. It would be the ability in some of their cases to love and forgive when they had never been able to do that before. It would be in some of their cases where there would be a longing for more of the Word of God, more of a, an understanding of the Word. They, long, they would long to be taught the Word of God, that they would long to be with God's people. Uh, they, you know, even though church people can hurt you. Not, not everybody will. Some can. Some will. But the ability to love the body of Christ, the ability to love and want to be around the people of God. The, the apostles, 120 in the upper room, apostles and the rest, when the Spirit was poured out on them on the day of Pentecost, you remember the story. Rushing mighty wind, tongues of fire, those who had been afraid to get out and let it be known who they were followers are for fear of the Jewish authorities, Roman authorities. Now with this endowment of power that came upon them, it chased out fear. It caused there to be a complete dissipation of hesitation. They became bold. That was Peter, day of Pentecost, preaching. But you find in Acts chapter 2 that something else happened. Verse 37, 
through 37. Now, when they heard this, when they heard that the message of Christ having been crucified, they were pierced to the heart. The ones listening were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent, let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he says, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise, not the cross, not Calvary, but the promise of the gift of the Spirit is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. All right, now look at verse 41. So then, those who had received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Well, if they received his word, then I think we can safely assume that they received the instruction to receive the promise of the Father. What if, 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 this is, if this is what you want, I received Christ's death for me, but now I'm also receiving whatever this is, the promise of the Father, meaning the outpouring of your spirit into the lives of people who are trusting you, following you. Just quickly look back at verse 32, Peter preaching, this Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Look at verse 33. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Well, what were they seeing? They were seeing some former cowards now stepping up, men and women, and in abilities to speak in languages they've never spoken before, evidently, they were declaring the great news of God and the message of Jesus Christ. They were empowered. They were empowered. They were given abilities that they didn't have. Where did that come from? That came from the exalted Jesus pouring out the promise of the Father. All right? Now go back over to verse 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized. Verse 42. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. As a result of evidently having received the promise of the Father, having received the pouring out of the Spirit into their own hearts individually, they were constantly devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have a need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Paul will write in another place in Corinthians. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. Another way to translate that Greek word is with the word generosity. Where the Spirit of the Lord is poured out, where the Spirit of the Lord is operative, where the Spirit of the Lord is in control, here's how you will know 
There's freedom, there's freedom, but there's freedom also in the sense of generosity. There were people from all over the known Jewish world at that time who had come to Jerusalem for the observance of Pentecost. That's why it was necessary if all of those people from all these different nationalities and spots on the globe, if they were going to hear who Jesus was, what Jesus did, and how they could find forgiveness and freedom in Christ, they would need to hear it in their own dialect, in their own language. That is why the Spirit gave to the 120 that particular manifestation of his power. But for the others who weren't necessarily going to be standing up and preaching from a street corner, these would be ones who would be impacted, who would have the evidence of the Spirit at work inside them in different ways. A hunger for the Word of God, a love for the people of God, a generous spirit, a loving spirit, an inclusive spirit, a heart to worship, a heart to praise. Now, folks, they'd gone to church. They, they were church. They, they, were, they were in a religious exercise. That's why they were there for the day of Pentecost. But you talk about something that's awesome. It's when in the middle of a service that's supposed to be dedicated to the Lord, the Lord shows up. And it's not just going through the motions. It's not just genuflecting. It's not just holding on to the beads. It's not even just reading through the scripture, bored to tears. It's when there is a sense in the house that the living Christ has moved in the room. Anything can happen when the king is in the room. We've known that. We've seen that. We've experienced that. That's why we're saying if you want to live in the practical power of Jesus, you receive his promise. You receive the promise that he desires to pour out his spirit upon and into the hearts of everyone who has received Jesus as Savior and Lord. So that it is beyond the point of just knowing that I'm going to heaven. That's awesome. That's wonderful that I have been forgiven, that Satan no longer can throw me around like a rag doll. But now there's something else going on in my life. There is the sense that there's somebody else alive inside my chest. The mind of Christ is working. The heart of the Savior is working. The ability to do things for him, to serve him in ways that I never knew that I had the ability to do. But now that I have sensed his presence alive in me, I know that there's nothing that he can't do because of what he's doing in me. In a minute, I'm going to ask Shirley to come up here. And help me with the application of this. I'm not quite ready yet. She's getting ready. And I want her to, I want her to come. I want her to come. I've, I, we've talked about this a bunch. There are things that I feel like the Lord gives me a part. Gives me something from the word. 
but he doesn't give me all the pieces of it necessarily. And we'll go back home and we'll have, we'll have roast preachers sometimes over lunch and, and, and she will have some ideas, some, some things of this, is, this would help it seem a little more clear. This would help it to seem a little more portable. We're just going to see if the Lord doesn't do that with her as we close this time in, a, in a, just a very few minutes and we pray for you. So, so what does it mean? What does it mean for me to embrace the cross? What does it mean for me, to, for me to receive the promise? But then this third part is don't, don't stop drinking. Don't stop drinking. Don't stop. Did the preacher really say that? The preacher said that. Don't stop drinking. <laughs> Here's what Jesus said, John 7. If any man is thirsty, man or woman, any person, if any person is thirsty, 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 let him come and keep coming and keep coming. That's the tense, present, active, indicative. Let him or her come and keep coming and keep coming to me. And out of his or her innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. John interprets it to say, John 7, 38, this he was speaking of the Holy Spirit who had not yet been poured out, had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus would also say, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who are asking him? Now look, here, here's, here's what some folks just check out. What's this Holy Spirit business? What the, the Holy Spirit is about empowering you. That's what it's about. It's about giving you a no when you don't have a no. It's about giving you a yes when that's the farthest thing from your natural mind. It is the power of the resurrected Christ moving into your chest. Christ in me. I know some folks that just scares a liver out of it. Well, I don't know what about that. Well, then all you're doing is just looking at the outside in as to what it really means to know Jesus and to experience his power. You're the outside looking in. The ones who shook the world, who shook their families, who made a difference. The ones who came to experience what it means, Lord, I need you, I need your strength, I need your power, I need your love, I need your heart, and I'm going to just keep coming and keep coming and keep coming as long as I'm thirsty, because you have promised me that if I came to you with my thirst, you would satisfy my thirst. What, what did Paul say in Philippians 4.13? I can do all things... Now watch the language, watch the language, watch how he put it. I can do all things through the one who is giving me strength. Present tense, who is giving me. Where is he getting the strength? He's getting the strength in the place where he's weak. He's giving me strength because I'm weak in a place. Folks, as long as we're running around staring at our own navel, Okay, I've got, got to figure this out. I've got to figure this out. I've got to make this happen. I've got to make this happen. You get nowhere except frustrated. 
But if you're determined, I will not stop drinking of the fountain that Jesus offers me. Then I'm going to believe. I'm going to trust. I'm going to rest my future in what he promised. Galatians chapter 3 says, as Paul is kind of fussing at the Galatian church a little bit, because they were listening to some people coming in and saying, well, you don't really have everything you need. You, you, gotta, you need to have this particular, this, this act of circumcision performed on the bales in the congregation in order for you to really be all that God wants you to be. Paul says, wait a minute. How did you receive the Spirit? And he puts it that way. How did you receive the Spirit? Was it by the works of the law? Doing something Moses said to do back in the old covenant? Or was it, and listen to this, or was it by the hearing with faith? By the hear, hearing of the promise and believing that God meant it? Was it by the hearing with faith? There had been no act performed on them. There were no hoops that they were to jump through in religious behavior. They heard the promise. There's a promise of the Father that the Father wants you to know his strength, his life, his joy, the life of Christ within you. If he made it as a promise, then I'm going to receive it. I'm going to receive it because he promised it. And he can't lie. And he's already proven his love for me on the cross. That's why I stand in the cross. It's the proof to me and anybody else who would, that God loved me. He didn't love me when I got cleaned up, when I made everything straight. He loved me in my junk. He loved me at my worst. And Christ died for me at my worst. He loves me. If he made a promise... I'm believing it. If you made a promise, I'm receiving it. It may not happen instantaneously, but it was pretty close in Acts 2. They heard the word, and the next thing we know, they were being baptized, and they were just, they were just enjoying being together and demonstrating generosity, demonstrating the evidence of the Spirit. It may be that some years have passed in your life. You know Jesus. You know that if you died, you'd go to heaven but you also are realizing that there was a lack of power in your life. All the want-tos in the world and all the ought-tos in the world are not enough to create that energy. I can do all things through the one, the one who is giving me strength. You, can you help me? And just say amen for the pastor's wife as she comes up. Let's get that out of there. Okay. Okay. We're just backing up because we believe with all of our hearts that what's most important is you is the the scriptures that David has has brought this morning. It said that people, they received the word. Mm -hmm. And that word for received is a word that means to take for yourself. And so at the end of this message today, 
we have choices to make. We can, we can choose to say, that was a good word, and go have lunch and get on with whatever. Or we can choose to stop in our tracks and say, Spirit of God, how, mm-hmm. how are you, what are you doing in my heart? Mm-hmm. Lord Jesus, this morning, we just back up. Oh. We back up and we say, we are here for you. Come and do what you do. Spirit of God, David and I believe with all our hearts that when our hearts are open to you, you specifically can speak to the very places that need to be spoken to in our lives. And we pray that for each one that's heard this word, that it won't be as the scripture says that it profited them not because it was not mixed with faith. Lord. Father, we cry out before you today that, that each of us will respond mm. in faith to what you're saying. Lord, I pray that there'll be ones that will just get up from where they are and they'll come down here and they'll kneel because they know they've been holding on to sin that's not been forgiven it's in their lives, and it's, it's unbelief that's kept them from being able to believe that you could really forgive them. Mm-hmm. I pray, Lord, that you'll stir up their hearts and they'll decide this day, yes, I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose to receive the power of the cross, yes. that those specific, very specific decrees against me will no longer have the yes. power that they've had over yes. me. Lord, we're asking that ones that know that there's, it's like they're a vacuum cleaner that's never been plugged in, that they know there's no power in their life. They love Jesus. They're thankful for the cross, but, but there's no power. I pray today mm-hmm. that they will get up and they'll come down here and they'll kneel and say, I'm receiving that gift. No strings attached. It's a free gift. The promise of the Father, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Spirit this day. And Lord, those that know that they've quit drinking, they've gotten so busy, they've let um, anger or resentment at someone, they've let things, uh, worry come into their hearts and, and they've quit drinking and they need to come back and be freshly filled before they leave this room today. Lord, today is the day of salvation. Today, it's not something we can put off. It's a time to respond to you now. Now where there's faith in the room. Father, have your way in our hearts and our lives. Everything uh, raised up against the true knowledge and power of you that we would put up as an argument as to why we don't need to respond to you. Lord, we cry out that you'll break that. You'll break that and that we will run believing and trusting and receiving, taking for our own the truths that have been spoken to us this day. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to ask you to come. Come this way if that's in your heart to do. You know, we can put stuff off and do something, but if, if, if something about this just spoke to your heart, then, then don't wait. You get up. 
make your way down to the front or put your head over on the pew in front of you and say, Lord, I, I'm asking you for the promise. I'm asking you. I'm, I'm, I'm looking to you. I'm trusting you. You know, I, the other day I was just, Lord, why does it seem to be so hard? This matter of filling, the filling of the Spirit, why does it seem to be such, a, such an issue that just doesn't happen? And I felt like to my, to my heart, the Lord just said, because, because they don't believe me. They don't believe I'll do it. I feel like I gotta do some other step, take some other step, do other something on me. There's nothing we can do except receive. So that, that's, that's the invitation. And those of you watching and wonderful brothers and sisters all over the place, part of our streaming family, if somehow this stirs, see, it, it's not just about the one-time filling. The New Testament is just so full of examples of there needs to be another filling. And, Another time when that Acts 4, where they, Peter and John, were, were just so beaten down. They'd been interrogated by the same ones that had orchestrated Jesus' earthly death with the Romans. And it says they, they were filled again. That's two chapters after the day of Pentecost. You know if there's a dullness. You know if there's a staleness. You know if there's a place of weakness. And it's important to respond to act some kind of action, some kind of action to respond. Even in your room by yourself right now, you raise your hands, you get on your knees, but the Lord will meet you at that place of movement, some kind of movement in your life. Amen. 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 Prayer partners, would you join us here as we we close this time? Father, we thank you for these, Lord, that have come to your table. And Lord, in agreement, David and I just ask, Father, for your complete and total um, movement in their hearts and lives. Lord, thank you that you're just breaking chains right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that those decrees, so specific, date, time, hour, Lord, they're they're being demolished because of this obedience in these lives, Lord. We thank you for that, Father, for those that have longed have longed for your gift, Lord, that your gift is here and now. Father, thank you for open heavens. Thank you for filling hearts, Lord, right now. Lord, thank you for refreshing brothers and sisters. Thank you for washing unforgiveness away. Lord, thank you for setting captives free. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let us hear from you, streaming family. Let us hear from you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Stay in this place. If you need to stay here all afternoon, we'll keep the doors unlocked. Okay? But don't don't just traipse out of here if if the Lord's still working and, and it's just the yes in your heart. Yes in your heart. Yes in your heart. God bless you.